talking to you. It's good to see everybody here. For those of you joining online, it's uh, good to have you with us as well. Uh, and uh, we'll be continuing our study of the Apostle Paul. We've been going, I don't know, a couple months now, and we're maybe right in the middle of Paul's life. Uh, the topic this week is Paul, Ephesus, and the collection. Uh, I hinted at this last week that Paul has gotten this idea of a special collection for the Christians in Jerusalem, uh, that these Gentile churches that he's been starting in Turkey and Greece, uh, they have considerably more uh, material blessings than the, the Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, and there's been this rift between Jewish and Gentile Christians, uh, and he sees this opportunity for these predominantly Gentile churches to contribute to the needs of the Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, so this is going to be a, a big topic for him. It's going to be something he, he mentions in several letters that he writes during this time, uh, this collection uh, that he was trying to, to raise for Jerusalem. Uh, so this is sort of his fundraising tour. Uh, we, we, we think about this as what's typically, typically called Paul's third journey. Uh, and I'd say there's uh, you know, a few big topics to cover there. First is this collection for Jerusalem. Uh, there's this extended time that he's going to spend in the city of Ephesus, uh, over two years that he spends there. Uh, but he also writes what I'd say are his big three letters, the, the longest letters he writes, but also uh, some of the most substantial ideas that he communicates as well. So 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Romans. So we have, on the third journey, we have three topics, three letters. I don't know if that helps you remember it, uh, but that, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We won't get all the way through this, uh, but we'll get at least started on it. If you look at the, the map of his journey, uh, this is how it's, you know, we, we typically or traditionally have described it as his journey starting in Antioch uh, and then however he gets back to uh, Judea after his travels. So on this journey, there, there's no new ground that he's covering. Uh, he had traveled through Turkey on his first journey, went into Greece on his second journey, uh, and now he's just going to revisit these places. Uh, so from Antioch, uh, going across Cilicia. Uh, Cilicia, we, we haven't mentioned this maybe, but uh, it doesn't get a lot of coverage in Acts uh, that Paul keeps traveling through. This is the same path he, he traveled with Silas. Uh, Cilicia, the, the major city there is Tarsus, uh, which is an important city for, for Paul. That's his, his birthplace and where he has spent the first decade of his Christian life, uh, I, don't, I don't think Luke makes any mention of Paul passing through Tarsus, but it'd be hard to miss on his way, if you're traveling by land from Antioch to Galatia, you'd probably want to go through Tarsus, uh, but really no mention of it in, in the book of Acts. Uh, so I don't know what that means. Uh, I, I assume that Paul has tried to reach out to his family uh, his friends in Tarsus with the good news. Uh, but we don't have any, you know, any sort of historical record talking about you know, a church in Tarsus. And because Luke doesn't mention it, I kind of assume that uh, 
this was not a successful venture for Paul, uh, trying to, to reach his family in Tarsus. Uh, but he probably went through there. Uh, and then, like I said, he, he's covering the, the ground he's, he went through before. Southern Galatia, that's the, the tealish green. Then into Asia, uh, the red, that, that's where Ephesus is. And then he goes back into Greece, like he had done with Silas, into to northern Greece, which is called Macedonia, and southern Greece, which is called Achaia. Now, I want you to, to remember these Roman provinces, Galatia, Asia, Macedonia, and Achaia. Uh, because when he's talking about fundraising, he's going to be mentioning these provinces. Uh, so you, you kind of piece this together by looking at his letters. Uh, he's going to write the letter to 1 Corinthians, and he's going to say, about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So he's telling the, the churches in Corinth, these, are, these instructions I gave when I passed through Galatia was take up money for this collection. Uh, this is actually a familiar verse for us because we use it to talk about our uh, weekly contribution. Uh, but I think if you, you think about the context of this, it's not exactly the same. Uh, Paul is instructing them to say, I want to I take this big sum of money with me to Jerusalem, uh, so go ahead and set aside a little bit, not for your, you know, your everyday needs, uh, the, the needs of the, the people at your, your church. Uh, you're already doing that, I assume. Uh, but set aside beyond that something for a special one-time contribution to Jerusalem. Uh, so I, I'm not, I think what we do each week is good, uh, but really what he's doing is he's, he's giving the, the scriptural authorization for our missions contribution uh, of setting aside some money each week for a special contribution that you're going to send somewhere else. Uh, that's what he's telling the Galatian churches to do when he passed through. But not just Galatia. Uh, when he writes again to, to Corinth, uh, he mentions the Macedonian churches are also collecting money for this. Uh, I want you to know about the grace that, that God has given the Macedonian churches and how they are, have uh, given more than they are able. Uh, so that's, remember, northern Greece. Uh, and then uh, a little bit later he mentions, uh, you know, I, I boasted about the Macedonians, but uh, I've been telling them that you in Achaia are ready to give. So remember our, our Roman provinces, Corinth is in Achaia. Uh, so he, in each of these places he's visiting on his, his journey, he is trying to raise these funds to go to Jerusalem. Uh, when he writes to, to Rome, uh, he's telling them, I'm, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I've now gone through all of these places. And Macedonia and Achaia, they were all willing to give this contribution to Jerusalem. So he's, he's explaining to, to them, he's first going to go to Jerusalem, and then he hopes to go to Rome. And so if you, once again, if you look at this map, you can see how this works. The Galatians are contributing. He doesn't mention Asia, but that's where he's going to spend this extended time in Ephesus. Uh, so I'm assuming that they're involved as well. Uh, and then Macedonia, the, the yellow uh, section of, in the corner, uh, the top left corner, and Achaia, where Corinth is, the green southern Greece area. Uh, all of these places, uh, predominantly Gentile, are raising mo- or contributing money for 
the needs of Christians in Jerusalem. And so it's something he mentions in all of the letters he's writing at this time about how he, he wants them to give, uh, how he's talked to other people about giving. Uh, it, it's a real big theme for this section of his life, is this collection for Jerusalem. It, notice, uh, I mentioned this too, in Romans, uh, his justification or his, his logic behind this contribution uh, at the end of this, if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Uh, so he thinks of this, you know, the, the Jews have, have preserved the message of God uh, in Scripture, uh, the, the waiting for the Messiah to come. Uh, and so the, the Gentiles, he feels like they kind of owe something to the Jews who have uh, carried along God's desire for centuries now. Uh, and since they have these material blessings, uh, they can now uh, share those things with their brothers and sisters uh, who are Jewish. So it's an interesting thing, I think, his, his logic for this. All right. So that's his, his first thing. That's the, the collection for Jerusalem. Let's, let's talk about Ephesus now. Uh, we're going to jump back into Acts around Acts 19. Luke doesn't tell us much about the beginning of the trip, uh, but he, that he's going toward Ephesus. Notice on this map, he probably would have gone through Colossae, uh, which will be an important city for the, the letter he writes there later. Uh, but it appears maybe there, there's no church at that time he would pass through because he doesn't, when he writes the letter to the Colossian church, uh, he doesn't have a lot of connections there. Uh, so anyway, Ephesus. Let's start reading in Acts 19. Uh, we're starting in verse 8. Uh, so Paul entered the synagogue, this is in Ephesus, and spoke, spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took, he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Okay. So as I mentioned with the, the second journey, uh, where he, he gets to Corinth and he ends up staying there for 18 months, uh, this is not really how a journey typically works in our mind. Uh, that you, you, are, you come to some place and stay there for over two years. You're, you're not really part of a journey anymore. Uh, he has settled in Ephesus as a base. And it appears from his letters that he's doing other traveling around Asia, that he's visited Corinth during this time as well, that, that Luke leaves out. Uh, that's not part of what the, the story he's trying to focus on. Uh, but this extended period in Ephesus, there's a lot of, of traveling around, uh, with this as the base. Uh, so this is not just his you know, straight through, going through Turkey, Greece, and back to Judea. Uh, he is spending an extended period, just like he did in Corinth, now in the city of Ephesus. This is going to be his base for reaching the area around. Uh, so he says you know, that uh, he's able to reach the, the entire province of Asia, that the area of western Turkey, uh, from this, this base in his two years in Ephesus. Now, Luke, at this point, includes a story about Paul. No, it's actually not really about Paul. 
uh, I think he just likes the story. I think this is the kind of a story that Paul would like to tell, and that if you knew this, if you had this experience, you'd want to, to share this story as well. Uh, but he sets it up like this. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Now, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. They were driving out these demons saying, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches. Uh, one day, the evil spirit answered them, well, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the, the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Uh, so I, I think this is just a funny story that uh, they couldn't resist including. It does... Uh, it does show the, the ability of Paul, uh, the ability of God working through Paul. Uh, but when you have these seven guys try to cast out a demon, uh, and he says, who are you? And manages to overpower all seven of them, send them out of the house naked and bleeding. I think that's just a, a great story. That How could you resist including that in Scripture? But we have a, a fork in the road here. We've got to make a decision. Uh, Luke is going to keep telling us about uh, what's happening in Ephesus. We can keep reading Acts and find out more about Ephesus. And there's going to be some exciting stuff here. There's going to be a riot. Uh, there's going to be fight with a wild beast. Um, you know, maybe a lion in the arena. We'll, we'll find out about that. Or uh, this is also the time where it appears that Paul, during this time in Ephesus, he's going to write the letter that we call 1 Corinthians, uh, his uh, initial letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, so we've got to decide. Do we want to keep going in Ephesus? Do we want to pause? We're going to pick up some of the, the narrative from Acts uh, and take a minute here uh, to cover 1 Corinthians. Uh, I'm going to choose 1 Corinthians. Uh, we've got half an hour. Uh, that's I think, plenty of time to, to talk about 1 Corinthians, I think. And if we don't finish it, we can uh, keep going a little bit uh, next week on it as well. Uh, but in the, in the letter to uh, the church in Corinth, he says he's in Ephesus. He's talking about this collection. We, we saw some of the references there. Uh, so it seems that this is where it's happening. Uh, during this time in Ephesus, uh, on this, this third journey where he's raising funds for Jerusalem, he sits down and writes this letter. Uh, we always talk about these are being Paul's letters, uh, that Paul wrote these, uh, but quite frequently he, he uh, lists not just himself, but a co-author as well. Not all the time, about you know, roughly half the time he has a co-author. And we still talk, talk about this is Paul's letter. Uh, we don't give these other guys enough credit. Uh, so frequently it's Timothy uh, on lots of letters, uh, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, uh, he's writing with Timothy. Uh, we, we covered First and Second Thessalonians the last couple weeks, uh, and this is where he's traveling with, with Silas, uh, Paul and Silas' second journey. And so Silas and Timothy get listed as co-authors there. 
But notice 1 Corinthians. Uh, if you read 1 Corinthians 1.1, it's Paul and Sosthenes. And you think, well, who on earth is Sosthenes? Uh, and what's he doing writing Scripture if I've never even heard of him? Uh, we don't, I don't, I don't know much about him, but we do have this mention in Acts 18. This is Paul in Corinth. Uh, remember we talked about how the, the Jews brought him before the, the Roman proconsul Gallio? Uh, and Gallio said, I'm, I'm not going to hear this. This is a matter between Jews and Christians. It doesn't involve Roman law. Uh, and the, the crowd didn't like that, and they turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader in Corinth, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern whatever. Now, it's not exactly clear here if Sosthenes is a Christian or just, just a Jew at the synagogue, uh, or if this is the same Sosthenes, but it is Corinth, uh, so there is that connection. Uh, and, you know, perhaps uh, if this is a, a Christian uh, or a Jewish synagogue leader who becomes a Christian, he'd be a, a useful person for Paul to, to collaborate with, uh, to write a letter. He's got a, a good knowledge, like Paul does, of the Old Testament. Uh, and 1 Corinthians is going to be f- filled with, with Old Testament references. Uh, so I don't know if that's who it is, but uh, this is a letter from Paul and Sosthenes. Uh, so that's, I think, fun. It, it seems that in, during Paul's time in Ephesus, uh, he's been getting some news from Corinth. Uh, so he had, he had spent this extended time in Corinth, 18 months, uh, and then traveled uh, to Jerusalem, to Antioch, and then up to Ephesus. Uh, but he had just fairly recently started this church. Uh, so that, that was, if you remember, he was in Corinth around 51 AD. Now we're, we're just, you know, in, in the next couple years, uh, he's in Ephesus. And he starts to hear some, some reports from Corinth. Uh, the first thing he, he hears is from Chloe's people, uh, which probably means that Chloe is hosting a church in her house, uh, and these are just people who, who attend her house church, uh, but they, they associate with Chloe. That's how he, he thinks of them, as people from Chloe. Uh, he's also been talking to these three guys, uh, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. Uh, he mentions them at the end of the letter uh, and mentions uh, that uh, they were in Corinth. Uh, So he's maybe heard some reports from these three guys. Uh, And Apollos. We mentioned Apollos last week that uh, while Paul went from Ephesus back to Antioch, uh, Apollos just missed him and went from Ephesus over to Corinth and was doing a really good work there. Uh, It seems that by the time Paul's writing, Apollos has now returned to Ephesus, and they've perhaps been discussing what's been going on. A lot of the stuff that uh, Paul is going to be addressing involves people uh, having a favorite between Apollos and Paul and Peter. Uh, So maybe that's information that's coming from Apollos. Uh, It appears that they're both in Ephesus at this time. Uh, He's also received a letter. Uh, So we see in chapter 7, he says, Now for the matters you wrote about. Uh, so it could be, you know, these could be overlapping. Uh, it could be that, that these three guys are Chloe's people. 
and it could be that they have come to Ephesus and they've brought him a letter uh, asking him some questions. Uh, it could be different sources as well, but uh, he's getting this, this variety of information about what's going on in Corinth, and it has prompted him to respond uh, to some of the issues that are happening. If we kind of outline this, uh, the, the first things are issues that Paul has heard about. Uh, so I, I mentioned a minute ago, factionalism. Uh, some people follow Apollos and some people follow Paul. Uh, he's heard about uh, this guy who is living in sin, flagrant sin, uh, and what the, the church needs to do about that. Uh, he's heard about that these Christians are suing each other, going before the, the Roman courts, uh, and uh, he has uh, something to say about that as well. So that, that's kind of the first bunch of, of issues, or things that he has heard about. Uh, that covers the first six chapters. And you notice on, on factionalism, he's got uh, quite a bit to say. Uh, he's got some, some important theological points to make there as well. Uh, the second section are the, the things that they've, they have written to him about. Uh, and so uh, the topics there, the, the question of getting married versus remaining single. Or perhaps, if you are married, should you now become single? Uh, that's one thing they wrote him about. Uh, and they also wrote about food sacrifice to idols. Now, when we get to these, it's going to be a little tricky uh, because we, we don't have what they wrote. Uh, but it, it seems that perhaps as Paul is responding, he is going to be quoting their own letter. Now, the problem is in this time they didn't use quotation marks. Uh, and presumably the, the church in Corinth recognized when he was quoting them back to themselves. Uh, but because we don't know what they wrote, uh, sometimes it's not clear if, is he quoting them or is this what he's actually saying? Uh, sometimes it appears that he quotes them and then actually tries to correct what they're saying. And some of your, your English translations will try to put stuff in quotation marks to say, well, they think that this is probably something that the, the church in Corinth was saying to him, and he is just repeating it back and responding to it. Uh, but that makes these sections a little bit trickier to deal with. The, the final big section of problems are the issues in their assemblies. Uh, so the question of head coverings, uh, for women to cover their head and men to cover their heads, uh, the Lord's Supper, and uh, an extended talk about spiritual gifts and how to use spiritual gifts in the assembly. Uh, toward the end, we have the, the chapter 15 that we're familiar with is Paul talking about the resurrection. Uh, then he, he wraps up with some conclusions and greetings. Uh, so let's just, we're just going to go through our problem checklist. Uh, I counted eight problems in these first chapters that, that Paul is dealing with. Uh, and that's, we've got you know, 20 minutes or so, that's... We spend about two and a half minutes on each one. Uh, I think we'll be able to, to get through these. Uh, but this, this isn't a 1 Corinthians class. This is a, a Paul class. So we'll just do what we can 
And if you want to dig in more, I'm sure uh, you'll uh, be able to do that on, on your own. And so we're going to start with this first one, with factionalism. It appears that the problem that they're having is people are choosing a favorite speaker. Uh, some like Paul, some like Apollos, who had come there after him. Uh, some people like Peter the best. And this is actually news to us that, that Peter has been traveling. Uh, apparently, he has also been to Corinth. Uh, and so, uh, people are, are divided about this. Uh, it appears that some of the hints we get in Acts is that you know, Apollos, is especially, is a, is a good speaker, that he is convincing, uh, that he is able to use Scripture uh, to, to point to Jesus as the Messiah, uh, to really persuade people. Paul lays out this principle, I think, that uh, the value of the gospel is not in its rhetorical presentation. It's not about how eloquent you can present this message. Uh, he illustrates this, I think, with you know, you get, get back to the crucifixion. Uh, the message about a crucified Messiah, that's not an especially impressive message. Uh, you read what he writes here in chapter 1. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdoms, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness, foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Uh, so he, he admits that talking about Jesus being crucified, uh, that's going to be a stumbling block. Uh, that's going to seem like foolishness to people. Uh, but this is the, the message that we have. Uh, and so that, that's one of the things he's going to say about the, the factionalism. It's, it's, I'm summarizing three chapters here. You have to, to read it on your own later. Second issue uh, on our checklist, we're going to just going to keep checking them off here. Uh, discipline for sin. So we have this guy who is living with his stepmother, uh, and the church there doesn't seem to, to say anything about that. If anything, they, they seem to be proud of that. Uh, I kind of think the, the problem here is, can a church overlook sin to show its inclusiveness? Uh, or does, does this affect their witness? Uh, so if, if someone comes into to our, our church and they, they have very obvious sins, um, and you know, perhaps they, they don't hide their sins as well as we do, uh, and you know, what, what, what do we do with that person? Uh, we want to say, well, we want this person. This is the best place for that person to be, right? Uh, is amongst the church. Where else are they going to, to be able to to find out what the better way is. Uh, so we want sinful people to be in our church, right? Uh, but at the same time, you know, how do you, does this affect our witness? Do, does it seem like we are uh, tolerating or promoting this, this kind of thing? Um, and it, Paul says, at least for this situation, uh, where this person is you know, flagrantly sinning, apparently proud of their lifestyle, he says you can't associate with that kind of person. You, that person needs to, to not be a part of your church. The, the illustration he uses is an interesting one, I think, because uh, he, he talks about Passover. He's going to, as he does many times in, in this letter, he's going to go back to the Old Testament 
And he's not, you think about it, this is not a very good proof text, uh, but he's not looking for proof text. He's, he's trying to, to think of a, an illustration uh, from uh, the Scripture that makes sense of this situation. The, the illustration he picks is at Passover time, you're not supposed to eat any yeast, and you actually have to, to make sure there's no yeast anywhere in your home. You've got to do this big Passover cleaning to get out any trace of yeast. The idea that if there's any, any yeast in there at all, it's going to contaminate everything else. Uh, and so his, his application for the church, if you have this bit of sin in your church, uh, it's going to spread. Uh, and just like you, you clean out all the yeast at Passover, you've got to separate those things from your church. Uh, and so that's his uh, decision there, problem solved. Problem number two, check it off our list. Problem number three, lawsuits between Christians. Oh, this is an easy one. Uh, Christians are suing each other, uh, and he says you can't do that. Uh, you, when you do that, you are going before a pagan judge uh, and letting the pagans decide what's right and wrong. Uh, so you, you, you need to, to be able to make those judgments within the church, not to, to take it before the, the pagans to do. Uh, although he does, uh, his decision is easy, but he does throw out some stuff. You know, his, his justification is, don't you know that you are going to be judging angels? Uh, and so how can you allow a pagan to be the judge over you? Well, uh, maybe sometime we can talk about that, but I'm going to cross this one off our list too as another problem solved. Let's see how we're doing here. Okay, we've got, we got eight problems. We've got three of them done. Uh, we've still got 15 minutes, uh, so I think we're, we're doing pretty well. Uh, but we're now we're gonna, I think we're starting to get a little bit harder too. Uh, these are getting trickier. All right, uh, we're now in chapter 7, uh, the question of marriage versus singleness. Now, you, this, is one, this is one of the problems they wrote about. And so we're trying to, to read between Paul's lines here to figure out what is the issue behind uh, what's happening. It seems that some people are arguing that, that being single is a higher calling than being married, uh, which perhaps is the, the opposite problem our church has today, where we uh, put more emphasis on, on getting married and uh, less emphasis on remaining single. It's, maybe it's a cultural problem more than a church problem. Uh, but for them, they're, they're, they're thinking, uh, you know, I have become a Christian. I want to be pure, uh, and so I should be single to be pure. And even if, if I was previously, if I was married before I was a Christian, you know, maybe I should separate uh, in, in order to, to be really focused and pure. Paul lays out this principle that, that neither marriage nor singleness is a higher calling. Uh, and that really, the, the issue is purity, but that's not necessarily celibacy. It's purity within, within a marriage or uh, as a single person. Uh, so both of those can be ways to serve God. He has an interesting thing here, that, that uh, verses 10 through 12 where he says, to the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, 
She must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Now, this, what I really want to focus on is this, not I but the Lord, and I, not the Lord. Uh, it has confused me before. Uh, that it sounds like you know, this first half is Paul using his inspired uh, authority uh, to give the message from God. Uh, this is what God says. Uh, and then backs off. He's like, well, and this is my own opinion, uh, not, not inspired, not scriptural. Uh, this is just what I say, not what God is saying here, uh, which I, I, I don't think that's a very satisfying explanation for it. I, let me give you a different perspective here. When he says, not I, but the Lord, uh, he's saying to, to not divorce. I think what he's doing here, he's pointing back to the teaching of Jesus, our Lord. Uh, so if you read Mark 10 or Matthew 19, Jesus teaches uh, for people who are following him not to get a divorce. So Paul is repeating the message of Jesus. So he's saying this is not something new. This is something that, that comes from the Lord Jesus. Uh, so it's not really my command. This is what, what Jesus has said all along. Uh, don't get a divorce. Uh, but then he adds in some new teaching on a new situation that has come up. Uh, if you keep reading here, you, you realize this is the issue of if one spouse has become a Christian and the other person has not. Uh, so should, should you divorce that person who's not following Jesus because they're kind of they're dragging you down uh, you're trying to live a pure life, but as long as you're linked to them, you're going to be kept, be continually pulled into impurity. Uh, he says, no, you don't uh, divorce them either. Uh, if they want to leave, uh, they, they see you have, you have changed uh, now that you're a Christian, uh, and they want to leave, let them leave. Uh, but for your part, uh, you stay married and hope that you have influence on them. Uh, so this is, is not his opinion. Uh, this is still, I think, scriptural teaching. Uh, but this is a new situation that, that wasn't covered from Jesus. Uh, and so Paul expands uh, with uh, a further bit of teaching here. Uh, so I, I think that's what's happening here. All right. Next problem. Food sacrificed to idols. Haven't we all had this problem in our lives? Uh, so, can Christians eat meat sacrificed to idols, or is that really you know, basically worshiping the idol itself? Is, is that too close to worshiping an idol to eat something that has been consecrated and given to this idol? Well, the, the principle he lays out here is that idols are nothing, uh, that there is one God, uh, and so uh, these idols are not true gods. However, Christians deny themselves in order to serve their brothers and sisters. And so if, if your brothers and sisters are concerned about this, even if this doesn't mean anything to you, you're still not going to do it. 
he gives this illustration from his own life that as an apostle, he deserves to be paid for his work. And other apostles get paid for their work. Uh, but in order to serve the, the places where he's serving, he has not taken the funds. He's, he's not been paid for his ministry, and instead he has chosen to, to support himself in other ways. The, the principle is, uh, in order to serve his brothers and sisters, he's going to deny his own, uh, what, what he has the rights to. Uh, and so, it's the same with these issues like food sacrifice to idols. You say, well, it, it's not even a real God. Uh, it's fine to eat it. Uh, and he says, but if, if people have a problem with it, you give up your rights uh, to, to serve them. I'll say he also has maybe a second principle on this one. Uh, you know, even if, if idols aren't real, uh, Christians should still stay away from it. Um, should flee from idolatry. Uh, he uses a, an Old Testament illustration here, actually kind of a series of retracing uh, the Israelites. Uh, remember that time that Israel started worshiping an idol and the snakes came and killed 20,000 people? Remember that time that they got mixed up with idols and the angel came and killed a bunch of people? Uh, it seems that there's this pattern that when people get mixed up with idols, bad stuff happens. And so the, the second principle here is stay away from idols. Uh, that has never uh, gone well uh, when people got too close to idolatry. Now we have a question here. Uh, does Paul contradict the Jerusalem Council? Okay, so Chris talked about this one last week, this passage in Acts 15. Uh, we, we've talked about it a few weeks ago here as well, uh, that the, the issue came up about can Gentiles be a part of the church? And uh, everybody you know, sits down together and talks about it and says, yes, it's clear that God is, is already doing this, uh, so we can't, we're not going to be the ones that stop it. Uh, but they set out some ground rules here uh, that these Gentiles can become Christians, but you're to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You'll do well to avoid these things. So the, the instruction from the Jerusalem Council is, do not eat food sacrificed to idols. Paul is saying, well, you know, you're not really uh, anything here. Uh, so is this contradictory uh, to each other? I, I, I think, when, when I read 1 Corinthians, I don't think Paul is encouraging people to eat food sacrificed to idols. Uh, like I said, my, my read of it is that he's saying, you know, don't do this for the reason of protecting your brothers and sisters. Uh, so I, I think this is a lot of the mo motivation for Acts 15 as well is for Jews and Gentiles to, to live together. Uh, the Gentiles need to give up these things because it's going to cause problems for Jewish Christians uh, who are really concerned about these areas. Uh, and so I think they're both uh, expressing the same 
prohibition, uh, but Paul is giving more of a reason behind it as uh, the idea of protecting, serving your brothers and sisters. Okay? All right. How are we doing on our checklist here? Uh, We've got five down, uh, three to go. That's not even getting resurrection. Uh, and I'd, I'd hate to skip over uh, the resurrection. Uh, so five minutes. Um, I think we better uh, save these last three for next week. Uh, and so that means uh, next week we'll, we'll, we'll finish Paul's letter. Uh, so we've got uh, head coverings, what, are we, what is it? Head coverings, Lord's Supper, and spiritual gifts. Uh, and then we'll, we'll talk about resurrection as well. Uh, so that should be enough for next week. Uh, we may be able to, to continue our story from Ephesus, uh, where we see that things are going to take a turn for the worse. Uh, Paul is ready to give up on life. Uh, it sounds like a pretty low point for him. Uh, if you read Acts, we don't, you don't get this coming through. But in Paul's own writings, uh, he gives a, a little bit more hint about uh, something goes really bad in Ephesus. Um, and people have speculated what that could be, and we'll, we'll maybe we'll do some speculation as well. Uh, that would be fun. Let's uh, close this morning uh, with the prayer of Paul. I, I, don't, I don't see any prayers of his in 1 Corinthians, uh, but we've got a couple to choose from in 2 Corinthians, uh, and so we'll go ahead and, and use one of those this week. Uh, so from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. We'll, we'll close with this this morning. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Uh, I hope to see you next week as we can finish off uh, 1 Corinthians.